Welcome to This Week in Brattleboro History, produced by the Brattleboro Historical Society and the Brattleboro Area Middle School. It has been less than 100 years since the 19th Amendment to the United States Constitution granted women the right to vote in state and national elections. In the 1800s, here in Vermont, women's rights were very limited. Property, personal, and voting rights did not exist for women in the early 19th century. Local woman Clarinda Nichols worked to change that reality. Nichols was Vermont's first well-known female leader for reform on women's issues. In the 1840s, Clarinda Nichols was the editor of the local newspaper, the Wyndham County Democrat. She wrote editorials that argued for women's rights, African-American rights, children's rights, and prohibition. Her writings led to a change in Vermont law for married women. In 1847, the Vermont legislature passed laws which established more rights for women. Married women gained the right to own property, write their own wills, and protect themselves from the debts of their husbands. In 1851, Nichols went on the national stage for women's rights by giving a speech at the Second National Women's Rights Convention in Worcester, Massachusetts. She argued for women's property rights and the right of women to legally leave abusive relationships. In 1852, Nichols was the first woman to speak in front of the Vermont legislature, seeking the right of women to vote. The legislature applauded her presentation but did not act upon her request. Nichols became a popular speaker throughout New England and argued effectively for women's rights, temperance, and abolition. In 1853, Nichols spoke at the National Women's Convention in New York City. When asked to explain why she wanted to be able to vote, she replied, I want to have this power because I am deprived of the power of protecting myself and my children. Nichols' arguments for women's rights often centered on safety, equality, and the well-being of children. Her approach was family-centered and sometimes came into conflict with other leaders of the women's rights movement. Clarina Nichols was friends with many prominent women's rights advocates, like Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Susan B. Anthony, and Lucy Stone. She actually arranged for Lucy Stone's first paid suffrage abolitionist speech, which occurred here in Brattleboro in the late 1840s. Some of the disputes between the leaders of the women's rights movement centered on strategy. What was the best way to keep pushing for women's rights when they were sometimes entwined in the abolitionist temperance and child labor movements as well? All of the leaders wanted to reach the ultimate goal of equality for women, but they didn't always agree on how best to get there. Some leaders thought working from the bottom up was best. They advocated pressuring individual states to change their discriminatory laws directed towards women. Others argued for a top-down strategy, which meant passing an amendment to the United States Constitution. This would make all states comply, but required coordinated national advocacy at a time when letter writing was the only way to communicate long distance. Clarinda Nichols became frustrated with Vermont's slow progress on women's issues, and in 1854, she moved her family to Kansas, where she supported the Free Soil Movement and worked for women's rights. Her work advocating for women's issues helped ensure that married women's property and child custody rights were included in the Kansas Constitution. As a result, some historians have referred to her as the Mother of Kansas. As the years went on, not much changed for Vermont women. In 1880, the Vermont legislature passed a law which allowed women to vote in local school elections. 
Advocates had continued Nichols' argument that women should have more of a say in the raising of their children, including who should serve on the school boards that were responsible for teaching their children. The first attempt at amending the U.S. Constitution to include women's voting rights was introduced in the Senate in 1878. Individual Western states like Wyoming, Colorado, Washington, and California began passing laws establishing women's suffrage in their states. Women in Vermont persisted in their fight for voting rights in state and federal elections, but had continued to be frustrated. Meanwhile, other New England states were passing laws which allowed women to vote. It all came to a head in 1919. The Vermont governor, Percival Clement, was opposed to women's suffrage. The Vermont Senate was in favor, and the Vermont House narrowly supported a bill that would allow women to vote in presidential elections. The governor vetoed the bill. The Vermont Senate voted to override the veto, and the Vermont House of Representatives did not have enough votes to override the veto, so the bill was not turned into Vermont law. Locally, Brattleboro's representative in the Vermont House was a strong advocate for the bill. George Dunham had chaired the House Committee on Suffrage and Elections and favorably reported the bill out of committee. Dunham gave a speech on the House floor that outlined the upward progress of women from practical slavery to their present status as second-class citizens and argued that granting Vermont women the right to vote would continue the positive trend for women on their road to equality. However, Vernon's Ernest Dunkley spoke for many representatives when he said he believed women's suffrage would only be an extra burden on women, which I am not sure that they want. In that vein, Burlington's representative agreed with Dunkley and Putney's representative, Edward Aiken, said, I fear that women's suffrage may mean men's suffering. Aiken's statement drew laughs from many men in the assembly, and the attempt at overriding the governor's veto failed. In the same year, 1919, the U.S. government passed the 19th Amendment, and three-quarters of the states were required to ratify the amendment before it could become law. Vermont advocates for the amendment asked the governor to call a special meeting of the legislature so Vermont could be the state to ratify the amendment and cause it to become the law of the land. Governor Clement refused, stating it would cost too much, and in August 1920, Tennessee became the state that voted to establish women's suffrage in all state and federal elections. In the following election, Vermont women took immediate advantage of their right to vote and elected James Hartness as governor. Hartness had advocated for the 19th Amendment, while the other candidate had been supported by former Governor Percival Clement, the man who had vetoed the Vermont bill that would have granted women the right to vote. According to estimates, Hartness had received about 75% of the women's vote in the governor's election. Please join us next week for another story from our community's past.